Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than a Standup. I'm Brent Lamotte. In this iteration, we're continuing our series on leadership in Agile, and in this long-form episode, we're focusing on organizational change. I have a very large piece of the leadership team from ISBN Enablement Operations here. We've got Jesse Marchand, Robin Bittner, Amy Evans, and Teresa Kramer. Hello, friends. Hello. Hello. So today, uh, it's going to be a long-form episode. I don't know how long it's going to be. I'll just say now, this was not faster than a standup. Uh, we're going to have a conversation talking about organizational change. And I'm going to just start. Let's go, Amy. Amy, walk me through organizational change and how it ties back, or does it tie back to agility? Wow, that's a big question. Right? <laughs> Don't give me an easy one to start off with. Um, so what is organizational change and how does it tie to Agile? To reframe the question. Yes. Um, you know, organizational change, it looks, it shows up in many different ways, right? I think that there's a change that happens every day to, you know, within internal teams to within broader organization and, um, as leaders, how do we help bring people along in that journey of that change? Um, when it's closer to home, I think it's it's easier for us to um, manage what's happening um, and demonstrate the behaviors and, and expectations that we have for our team members um, when organizational change is happening. So if it's new team members coming into you know, our broader organization from, for example, enablement operations, um, you know, how does, how do we help our current team members, you know, understand the backgrounds, the behaviors of the people who are joining our organization? Um, organizational change could be people coming into our own teams or people leaving our teams is also organizational change. How do we adjust? How do we flex? Um, how do we re-level load work when, when something like that happens or, or either one of those cases happen? Um, how does that tie into Agile? Um, you know, Agile is fluid and, you know, change happens every day. And so when team members come and go, um, how do we um, bring those team members into the team, understand the work that the team is, is delivering on, um, get them um, up to speed as quickly as we can so that the team as a whole can be productive. But I think the one thing that happens that's, you know, Never, nobody ever really plans for, um, but I think we all talk about after the fact is how we lose productivity um, when organizational change happens. And I think that's something that as leaders, we need to constantly be um, aware of and help team members you know, honor the reality that productivity is probably gonna go down, but then how do we support the team in getting back up to speed and getting ourselves, getting the delivery back on track? All right. Teresa, thoughts? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I would echo Amy's um, statement that change uh, hits people differently, but when you look at wide sweeping organizational changes, um, there's this um, change curve that has been identified where um, because people go through that change differently and they're trying to figure out how they fit into the new norm, whatever the new norm is. Um, there's a, a bit of churn in an organization and the bigger those changes are, 
the more impactful they are, the bigger that disruption to the overall organization is. And to Amy's point, there tends to be a lack of awareness. In fact, I've never seen an organization that deals with that very well um, in managing that change. Um, Agile, for all of that it has brought to the industry, hasn't enough, in my opinion, acknowledged that reality, which is why you see all of these conversations about how do we scale, how do we get this across a large organization, right? When you're looking at an organic team, a startup, it's really easy to pick up those practices and just do it because you have to. When you're looking at trying to get those benefits in a larger scale organization, there's a huge aspect of intentional organizational change management that needs to happen that just doesn't happen inside of organizations. So let's walk through how do we make, how do we actually make that kind of change happen? I'll start with Mr. Marchand. <laughs> well, if, if we had an easy answer to that question, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> We'd all be out of a job. I know. I, I mean, I, I, I guess there's, there's lots of things and, and points of, of consideration about making that change, but um, sort of a, a few things come to mind that I think going back to the Agile conversation also tie well with how uh, Agile, some of the principles of, of Agile and Lean uh, relate as well. So the, the first um, thing I'm gonna, I'm gonna say about making a change is um, really tying it to being a learning organization. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is we're, we're making a change and you know, whether that's an agile DevOps, whatever type of transformation there is, there is something that has, has to be learned and there has to be some you know, motivation for, for doing that change. And usually that can be expressed as, as outcomes. Um, and one of those outcomes should be just getting better at learning. And so do we have the right environments? Do we have the right support? You know, are we doing sort of the Google thing of, you know, what is it, 20% of, of sort of learning opportunities? And, and um, is there the right environment and support for, for and structure for doing that? Um, and second, are there sort of fast feedback cycles in that change management process so that we are understanding how quickly we are learning and how, how quickly we are changing. Um, and that sort of ties into, you know, sort of the, the social proof aspects as well. Um, and as we think of that change curve, uh, are, we, are we seeing the benefits we want? Are other people starting to start, start starting to believe and, and willing to go through, through their own personal journeys of, of change? Um, so, I mean, I think those are all sort of elements that are, that are important. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the last one is sort of goes back to, are we aligned on what the change should be and back to the outcomes and, you know, sort of the uh, never waste a good crisis uh, comes to mind. But I think, I think those are all relevant points and I, I'm sure uh, uh, people have a lot of thoughts on those. So Robin, walk me through what happens if an organization, if an organization isn't necessarily in alignment right, to build off of what Jesse was just saying. Well, um, to get to that, I think a couple of things, if I might add on to sure. what Amy and, and Teresa in particular had said, I think Jesse's yeah. points are all noted as well. Um, on Teresa's point about the churn curve 
and how everyone's at a different point, um, would like to note that um, changes don't necessarily happen in isolation, meaning from each other. Mm-hmm. And where this becomes a more challenging situation for organizations is when they have multiple simultaneous changes that are constantly overriding each other. And that leads to some confusion and some uncertainty and where we go on and what's not. And so it's very symptomatic that we'll see questions from folks, which leads me to the second point, um, a different facet of adding to Amy's is um, there's a question of why you know, and the question of, you know, hey, change is happening. Why is this happening? That's oftentimes feedback that folks will, you know, provide saying that I may be an advocate of change. I might be a willing participant in change, but I'd like to know why we're going through this. And that oftentimes is an element that's um, missed, or maybe it's assumed that it's obvious. And um, it may not be addressed to the satisfaction of those participating through the change. And so therefore, um, what ends up happening are to your question is that you may see resistance, you may see reluctance, you may see folks who want to be, you know, um, participating and put good effort forth, but maybe that's not aligned with what the objective is and the outcome as Jesse had spoken about. And so what this creates is a lot of chaos in many ways. And that distraction pulls you away from the work that the teams are trying to do and generating value. And if you think about um, change, in a very, very small way, if you look at a sprint, for instance, one of the challenges we've had is the churn in that where maybe there's some organizational change happening, the team commits to a certain body of work, and then they find that these outside influences are coming in saying, hey, this has to change, that has to change. And so you got a lot of context switching. And what it does is it just, it, it produces an extra overload of um, cognitive investment, if you will, that then takes away from that sense of comfort that you want to have in a generative culture where you're looking at uh, a feeling of safety, psychological safety, of understanding of where we're going and what's happening. So all the things around change can really be um, attacking that notion. And that leads to these symptoms that, you know, we oftentimes see and and usually see in organizations if uh, not all these pieces are put together. And I think as, as it might've been, Teresa, you might've mentioned that, you know, organizations typically don't do these things really well. And so therefore it's because of these different sub elements, all of which are necessary. And because everyone's different, they need different levels of that. So it takes an extreme amount of attentiveness and focus on the part of leadership to provide this guidance that helps folks understand why and what, so that they can go do. I want to build on your... (laughs) your why, and um, reference a TED talk by Simon Sinek in which he's talking about starting with your why, and he's not talking about it from an internal organizational change aspect, but he's talking about the most successful product organizations and people buying your why. They are loyal because of your why, and it gives them purpose, and and they can, they want to purchase that thing. If we use the same analogy when we're working with people inside of our organizations, people feel a sense of purpose and and can navigate better on their own if they understand what we're trying to achieve, not what we build, but why are we doing this thing in the first place? They don't buy your what, they buy your why. So if listeners haven't heard that TED Talk, it's a great TED Talk. It's one of my favorites. There's also a great book. Great book on the same subject. but Built off of it, For people that like podcasts, they're 15 minutes or less. (laughs) It's a good TED talk. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, just to keep going with that um, line of thinking, if, if organizationally we have a strong purpose and we have that strong why, when change happens, people are more adaptable to that change because their focus continues on the why. So I think it's really important as, as leaders, you know, um, even within our, you know, maybe our, just our discrete organizations, if we have a strong purpose and a strong why for ourselves or, you know, even our broader team, if stuff's happening around us, it's okay. You know, it, we, can, we can flex around it because we still know what our purpose is and we can still be driving to that purpose and allow for those external changes to happen around us because we have that sense of, of accomplishment and a sense of showing up to work every day because I know I'm contributing to the bigger thing, even though all this other stuff is happening. So I know that sometimes that's challenging because maybe the, the, the larger why might be shifting, um, but, and, and that does happen and, and that happens quite frequently. But if, if we within our teams can help to keep our why focused, the, the people can change that we work with, but we're still delivering. And if we can keep beating that drum with our folks, that can help with some of these other changes as they're happening um, within organizations. But I wanna, I wanna tip on that a little bit for someone who is not in a leadership role. So someone who is more of an individual contributor, it's really frustrating to have all of these external changes happening, even if the team that you work on is very focused, understand it's, you know, understands its why, understands what we're all doing because you see the background noise and leadership can only do so much to calm the nerves of all of that flux. Right. Right. I'm going to draw it back to what I've seen patterns of behavior in the industry. Most people, when they're starting to execute on something or they want to make a change, jump to what we're doing and how we're doing. And it lacks the whys. That's why there are so many organizations that fail. And just from a product perspective, right? If people can't understand that why and that why doesn't resonate, you're not going to have a solid client base. That's just the reality. If you look at industry leaders across all products, they have a strong why. And it's not what they're building or what they're selling or how they go about selling it. It's why they're doing it in the first place. So I want to talk a little bit about the tactical piece, right? So if we're talking about individual scrum teams, right? Add new people, take, take people away because they leave, you know, tactically the conversation is, you know, you go in and you change your working agreement for a larger organization. You don't necessarily have that mechanism. So how do you address that as you add or uh, remove people? At, at what level are we talking about organization? Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's say that, for argument's sake, that it's not an individual contributor who leaves, but it's someone in a leadership role who leaves. Right. So uh, we will say in a certain organization, it would be not that a 
Uh, it could be someone like a CTO. It could be someone like a VP. It could be a senior director. You know, role name doesn't necessarily matter, but the fact that someone in leadership has left or is reorged or your organization has changed, how do you address the same kind of thing in a way to help minimize that noise? Well, in any, I'll jump in with an initial thought to start it. Um, you know, with any change, there's a certain level of uncertainty. And uncertainty causes generally hesitation. So whether that's the why or the how or whatnot, I think, you know, when folks are working in an organization with each other, you'd like to, let's generally assume that you'd, you'd like to be able to deliver value. So I think as in my experience, when folks have changed at some leadership, there's, there's a question by the folks underneath them. It's like, okay, so what are the rules of the game? Are things going to change? Are they not going to change? Please give me some guidance so that I know, in essence, the working agreement. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a different type of, you know, structure perhaps, but in essence, it's that working agreement. It's like, how, you know, what are the expectations? How are we going to work together? What, what does go well? What does not go well? Um, is anything changing with our why? Is our why evolving? But just, you know, I've found that folks tend to wonder if the rules of the game change when somebody different takes the place of someone who is an influential position that has responsibility for delivering something of which folks are trying to achieve that objective. Right. And in my mind, there's no question that when a leader, uh, you know, whether that be a CTO or even a team lead is, is there's a change in that uh, person or, or um, multiple changes that the org is impacted, right? I mean, we expect leaders to, to model behaviors and um, set up some of the rules for the game. And if uh, those incentives and behaviors change, I mean, you get situations like, um, you know, Boeing, right? I mean, they went from being an engineering driven company to being, uh, you know, a, a cost-driven company, and you can sort of see what the results of that have been. Um, you know, conversely, um, what's the uh, the Turnership Round book with uh, David Marquard and the, the submarine captain who, you know, changed uh, the performance level of the, the boat from being the worst to the first in, in the Navy. So, I mean, I think those are obvious examples of what leadership does. So I think the question and, and the impact, the question is how do you measure that and how do you help teams through through that? Um, and I mean, very tactically, it sort of comes back to me to that psychological safety and measuring the generative culture aspects and how is that uh, incenting or changing behaviors over time? Um, so I think Back to sort of summarize, there's no doubt that a change in leadership has a huge impact and, and hopefully that leader <laughs> understands and, and, and uh, understands their role in setting up the right sort of culture and system. I, honestly, building on that point, I, I think consistently across the industry, that is the biggest pitfall that I've seen is not recognizing the reality that humans are humans inside of the systems we create and change does have an impact. And even asking the question of how do we measure that in impact is starting to explore that reality. So I wanna say this is a good time to stop on this because I think we could start 
a, a separate conversation about the change management because we've we've talked about org change but we haven't really talked about how do you manage that change as a leader well that's going to wrap up this iteration i'm brent i'm robin i'm amy i'm Teresa. And Jesse. Until the next iteration, you can give us a five-star rating at your podcast provider. Reach out to us at info at fasterthanastandup.com, or you can find us on Twitter at Faster Standup. Thanks for listening. And that was Faster Than a Standup. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.